welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So uh, I'm trying to remember where we left off. It's been a long week for me. So I, I think we were talking about how people resist alignment. That's right. We, we talked uh, last time about different kinds of resistance. We talked about outcome and resistance and process resistance. After tantalizing people that, we said, oh, and there'll be steps we, you can take towards alignment. And then we said, but you'll have to come back next week. So that's and it's where next week. So it's next we week. better tell them what the steps are. <laughs> that's right. And the case that we left them with is we were talking about um, a client that you've worked with where you have uh, some founders who um, that they say that they're aligned, but other people aren't aren't. Is that right? Can you remind us about them? Absolutely. So these two founders just swore up and down to me that everybody knew how important the big new project was, and it had to be delivered next month, and everybody was very clear, and nobody was unclear about it. And by the way, they were completely aligned with each other too. Everybody knew the ultimate goal of getting to uh, a, a certain business outcome in a, in a few years. So everybody's perfectly aligned. And then we walk into a meeting, and Second or third thing on the agenda that somebody brings up is, gee, it sure doesn't seem like anybody knows what the most important thing is to do around here. <laughs> Which uh, should have come as a surprise to them, it sounds like. It was a complete surprise. And they said, what? How could you not know? And they went through some of the examples that the others were using as signals of importance, and the founders had not picked up on that. And we had a theory about what might be going on uh, mm -hmm. around this, um, about the, the word alignment. Yep. Uh, agreeing on what important words mean is one of those great eight behaviors from Roger Schwartz that we like to talk about. And here the word aligned seemed to mean to them aligned about particularly what the ultimate business goal was, the market they want to take over and dominate and become a great big unicorn startup. But the alignment on what to do next month was the bit <laughs> that people were most confused about. Right, which is a different kind of alignment. Absolutely. Uh, now we said that we would show the step forward that um, we might work uh, that might work for these founders. We talked about an experimental method uh, mm -hmm. uh, where you would use their curiosity to discover uh, problems. And uh, I know you frequently use a tool. Uh, with with uh, clients that is a really good experimental method. So can you explain it to us? Of course. And this is the one I'm thinking of uh, explaining and encouraging them to use when I visit them next. So their uh, notion is uh, officially called the ladder of inference. But because a lot of our listeners are probably software developers or involved in software, I, I prefer to use a different name that applies or, or appeals more to such folks. And that is test-driven development for people. <laughs> and we'll link to a video uh, where I describe this in more detail if people want to go and check that idea out. But it might be easiest just to, to demonstrate with um, a, a bit of role play. Jeffrey, if you're if you're willing to be someone in the company, oh. I might try being one of the founders. Is that all right? Okay, certainly. Yeah, that sounds good. So what you'll notice, and I'll, I'll just point this out before we do it, is that I'm moving very slowly. And this feels like a test-driven development session. Because if you watch somebody doing it, you'll say, wow, they're writing a test before every line of code. That's How slow is that? But of course, what you're doing is you're making sure you know where you are at every stage. So that's the advantage. And there's a, a whole set of methods for defining the questions that you ask. I'm, I'm not going to go into that here. It's on the video if you want. But the notion, the feeling that you have is one of slowly stepping through a series of questions and finding out carefully what the misalignment might be. So uh, here we go. You ready, Jeffrey? Absolutely. Excellent. 
So yeah, I, I wanted to talk to you about kind of where where we're going, especially where we're going in the in the next few months. Is is that okay, Jeffrey? Certainly. Great. So the the first thing is I I observe, and I'm just curious if you see the same thing as me that that, that I do a lot of talking about our next big project, and uh, I think I've talked a lot about that. Have you noticed me talking about that? Yeah, yeah. I've I've, I've heard uh, you mention it. It's uh, really important. Great. And have I made sure, have I, have I been clear about exactly why it's important? And um, have I made sure that, you know, I, I don't talk about too many other things that I really emphasize that one? And, and do we agree that that's an important area for us to look at? Oh, together? yeah, absolutely. Great. So I was worried about that. I wasn't sure I'd communicate it clearly enough. So then I'm curious about what kind of conclusions you draw for that. So when I talk about it a lot, what do you conclude that means? Or where, where, what um, ideas do you have about that? Well, I I think that we really stress how important it is, and therefore how important it is we get it right. Uh, we want to make sure that we we really have it everything down and everything really really buttoned up because it's really such an important project. Got it. Well, that's very interesting because I'm not sure I've communicated well there. Um, just let me check something else about that. Is the meaning for you that if so, if we're doing something that's important, that it's important that it be perfect, that it be defined carefully, that we not make any mistakes with it? Is is that how you see it, or do I misunderstand? That's what I understood you saying when you were describing how important it was. I got it. Okay, so uh, I think there might be some different way we're thinking about it, and I want to make sure we're thinking about it the same way. A, a belief that I have is that when you're trying to do something very important that's a high-priority item, it's actually important to make lots of mistakes, and it's valuable to make the mistakes and then recover quickly, because that's the only way you can do a really innovative new thing. Do, do you see it that way? Have I communicated that idea, or is that a new idea for you? Uh, no, I, I really, I don't think I've ever heard you describe that before. I mean, uh, certainly you talked about how important it was, uh, but I took that as a uh, idea that we really needed to be careful. I, I had this idea of making mistakes is not one I recall hearing. Ah, got it. Okay. Cause the action I was seeing from you that was confusing to me and now it's not confusing at all. It makes perfect sense was that you were spending a very long time specifying um, yeah, this information, getting data from the regulator and everybody else who might possibly have any uh, our partners who are going to integrate with it in much later phases. It, it seemed like you were spending a lot of time on bits that weren't advancing, getting it launched. And I'm guessing, you tell me if I got this wrong, but I'm guessing that's because you think it needs to be all buttoned up and, and exactly right. Well, yeah, because it's so important. I mean, we wouldn't want it to you know, get further down and then find out it didn't work for our partners. And that, that, would be, that would be disastrous given how important it is. Got it. Well, I think what you should do is come with me to the uh, partner meeting this afternoon, because I think what you'll hear is that they're not actually even remotely concerned about whether it works or not. They just want to get something launched to get feedback. And that sounds like it would be new information to you and might be helpful in, in us moving along quickly. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's, that's very different. That's very different than the picture I had in my head. Great. Well, come along and let's talk to the partner together and let's check. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that what they're telling me is launch it and then get it right rather than get it right first. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, let's let's go get that cleared up. Excellent. So there's an example of uh, walking up the ladder of inference you here that I talked about what data we were both observing, then what whether that data was important, what conclusions we drew from it, what meaning that had, what beliefs we each had about it, and what actions we might be taking. And uh, you could see how we were diverging. We were starting at the same place. This is a very important project. But about halfway through, we discovered that we were misaligned, that we were headed in different directions. 
And finding that out was very helpful for me in giving you more information about how we could be better aligned. It might be that I find out I'm wrong with, and, and in fact, we do need to be more buttoned up and the regulator is going to shut us down if we don't get certain bits right. That could be new information I could learn to move closer to your position. Or it could be you go and meet the partner this afternoon and you discover that actually nobody cares, um, get, it, get it out, and um, uh, getting feedback and iterating quickly is the most important thing. You know, that what I noticed there in the role play is it was another, you know, sort of sneaky example of where uh, people were using the same words, but meaning something entirely different. So this idea Absolutely. of important project, uh, which is something that uh, I know we both experienced quite a bit uh, with this. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if, if people are curious, we didn't rehearse that or, or set up ahead of time. We, <laughs> uh, we just literally were going ahead and making it up as we went. So that's uh, literally how you might go about discovering in real time what someone's thinking. It requires lots of practice. It's not something you can do uh, naturally or automatically. And that and that idea of, of, of practice, that it's not something that, that comes naturally. I guess we should really say it's not something that comes habitually, um, is something that's uh, really well described in a... Um, article that you and I reference a lot, which is the Chris Argerus Skilled Incompetence article, um, where he describes how our habitual forms of communication uh, often uh, causes trouble, even on people who are seen as being good communicators. Um, and he and, it, and it's actually very relevant to this topic of alignment because the scenario he's describing in that article uh, are some executives and uh, some managers, some leaders in a company who are spending months and months trying to resolve a, a common problem, um, but aren't able to do it. And actually it's their, what's normally seen as their, their skill at communication, uh, which is uh, they don't want to offend people uh, that uh, prevents anything from getting done. So they, they have this um, effortless way of producing pleasant meetings, uh, but uh, on the other hand, they don't actually uh, get to resolution. And the, the, the role play we were doing is a similar example where the founder was communicating effectively in one sense, everybody knew it was important, but wasn't getting through um, some of the, the, uh, the meaning or the, the deeper alignment on how to get there. That's right. And the question is, how do you learn to do that? Because you said that learning how to do those questions is something you're able to do quite naturally off the cuff from lots of practice, but um, how, where do you start getting that practice? Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I know in this article, they describe something called a two-column case study, and uh, although it uses it a little bit different than how you and I have used it in the past. Yeah, so you and I usually use it, and we use it all the time, of course, for learning and reflecting on uh, how we might be con uh, conversing or what, how we could have a better conversation or, or get to more of the important issues that we aren't able to talk about. So it's kind of self-reflective. In this case, he describes a very interesting exercise, which is people create their two-column case study. And we won't go into the details of what that is, but the short version is you imagine, in this case, they imagine a dialogue. They're trying to convince uh, one of their colleagues, and they write down how they expect that conversation would go. And they don't expect very, very good outcomes because they've been trying for months to get it to work. And then they did this thing where they showed their imagined dialogue to someone else. And those people um, then came up with revisions to, on, the, on what they thought might work better. And that uh, allowed people to learn better ways to talk. And this is one of those examples where you're, you're, you're going to be learning a new technique. So you're probably going to have to go slowly. You're going to have to slow it down, make it more uh, concrete and discussable, and then learn, uh, learn from it before you try to use it in an online situation. 
Yeah, absolutely. Although I will say this, that once you, once you do feel like you can use it online, you're, you really haven't learned the skill until you begin applying it uh, in real life in your regular meetings and then reflecting on those on that use. So if you, it's not like you just go and practice it offline and then start using it online, assuming it's all great. You've got to keep the reflect and keep the learning process going. And uh, so we, we promise people about steps towards uh, alignment. It's also about gaining these skills. And here's the skills around sort of TD for people and then learning how to uh, invest in uh, examining your dialogue and, and improving it. Mm-hmm. How have you applied this? So you've actually used it, right? I haven't used this particular method of, uh, of, of the way of using the two-column case study. Sounds like you have. Yeah, we have. At, at, at Tim, this is something that we've invested in quite a bit. Uh, we actually gave training to everyone in the company. Uh, one of the founders and I uh, did small group sessions where everyone got to practice using uh, a two-column case study and a practicing a revised dialogue. And uh, the great thing about that is in a relatively short period of time, people could come to learn how difficult it was. Absolutely. So <laughs> Chris, our jurist, uses, he talks about the solution to these um, problems of communication is unlearning, uh, unlearning the habits we've developed. And uh, that those sessions really did a good job of demonstrating the need for unlearning. Um, we then backed that up and said, look, it's not just enough to talk about it you know, once or twice in a training session. And we, uh, so we expect people to be applying it in uh, their ongoing meetings. So we actually, in each meeting room, had laminated cards. And every desk, people had laminated cards with the mutual learning principles for reference. Mm -hmm. And then after that, uh, and to this day, actually, we continue to uh, offer fortnightly, now monthly practice sessions where people could bring real-life examples. So cases that they had had, perhaps even with someone that they had a difficult conversation with and the two people could come and work on it together with other people supporting them helping them revise it and so it's mm -hmm. been a, a long-term investment in developing these skills and so what results did that have did it did it, did it get you to to greater alignment but how, what how did you observe the results of, uh, of what's quite a substantial investment in skills and practice we definitely saw dramatic outcomes and what we saw be first was actually improved trust and respect among uh, different people on the staff. So, and that it was that mutual trust and respect that allowed people to then have better conversations and better collaboration. And then at the outcome, we definitely had improved alignment, uh, both at the executive team level and at other levels as well. And and while this has been a long journey, I want to say that we we got uh, benefits uh, right away. I mean, the, just from the the very first sessions that people had, I think they left with sort of an immediate, uh, a, a positive uh, and improved collaboration. And it's something that just has developed and deepened over time. So while it, it's been a, a, a long investment, uh, the, the, the time to pay off was actually very, very short. Got it. Do you have any specific examples of changes that people had or, or ways that people were able to collaborate better? Or was it kind of more an overall um, observation uh, across the business? Well, I think one one thing you, you people have described is that the meetings and the discussions sound different. The the words that people use, so um, people will ask and and, and will will say something like, "Well, you know, my intent with this is you know X, Y, and Z." And the example we just used, saying, um, "You know, maybe we're using different meanings for the same word." Mm -hmm. You'll you'll hear people uh, come up with that. You know, can you can you give me an example of what you mean? Asking for specific examples, so a lot of it is in the kind of questions that people ask and and how they will sometimes couch their 
what they're about to say. They'll say, look, I'm going to start by seeing my view and then I'm going to ask you a genuine question or this is a genuine question. They're, they're signaling that uh, they're really trying to understand that they're curious and not simply trying to persuade. Mm, got it. Okay. Well, so we've had a couple of examples here then of different steps that people might take. So one was the uh, test-driven development for people, ladder of inference method of asking questions and getting to a different set of actions. And the other is involves more investment, but as you've observed, Jeffrey, you get quite rapid payoff for this investment where you teach people techniques like the two-column case study. We'll have links in the show notes, by the way, for people who are interested in looking into these techniques more. And uh, what you observe is that if you train people and make an, ex an explicit alignment initiative, for example, to get better conversations, clearer communication, then you get quite rapid payoff in better meetings, better conversations, uh, less um, uh, misalignment. Is that accurate? That, that's exactly right. And if we tie it back to last session, one thing we said was the importance of overcoming resistance was about the motivation. And it's about explaining what our motivation is and why we're making this investment and why uh, could justify people spending the time. Uh, that was really what allowed us both to uh, make the investment in the first place and also for people to understand why we were making the investment. So that's a, a, a useful element and so that uh, and that ongoing practice uh, from real life. To, to tie it back to our friends, the founders, uh, they might say, well, look, we, we realizing that we're somehow misaligned, we don't know how, but we're going to be making these investments in order to improve alignment. And here's the benefits we're expecting to get. That's so right. It's almost like getting aligned about why you're getting aligned. <laughs> that's right, which may sound like a bootstrapping problem, but uh, uh, hopefully it's, uh, it's one that's easier to understand. It's at least got limited scope. So what's coming next time? Uh, I know that we've had at least a couple questions from people about this little mini-series we've had going on alignment. Do you think we'll have enough for a, a further part four on questions, Jeffrey? Well, I think what we'll do is we'll, we, we will uh, take some of the questions we've already heard. And of course, if people have other questions when they hear this, please send them in and we'll try to address them in, in our part four. Um, we'll also talk about some of the common objections uh, or concerns that we hear from people when we share this approach. Because you and I have talk, taken this idea to many different uh, people, many different companies. And I think there's some common concerns that come up when we take people through this process. So we'll, we'll address those next time along with the questions from listeners. Sounds good. So for those questions, please get in touch with us at troubleshootingagile.com. There's a link there for email to us, and uh, we'd love to hear from you and address any kinds of concerns you're having, whether they're about alignment or something else in your attempts to become more agile. Until then, Jeffrey, we'll see you next time. See you then, Squirrel.